a specialty series podcast, session number three. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome back to the Specialty Stories Podcast. If this is not your first time joining us, if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We are a podcast dedicated to helping you decide what medical specialty you want to pursue. The path through pre-med and medical school is hard enough. We are here to help make your decision a little bit easier when it comes to choosing a residency. Today we're going to talk to a neurologist and discuss all of the things about neurology. If you've listened to the other podcasts, I follow a pretty standard regimen of questions so that you can go back and listen to each one and compare each one because they're answering all the physicians that I have on are answering questions that are answering all the same questions. And so today is going to be no different. So let's go ahead and dive in. Hi, everybody. I'm Allison Gray. I am a community neurologist. Allison, when did you know you wanted to pursue neurology? During medical school, we had a neuroscience course in our first year, and I was particularly interested in that. I loved it. I thought the brain was really fascinating, both when it was normal and also when it was not normal. And I also grew up talking about the brain, so sometimes I think that becoming a neurologist was in my genes. My father's a neuropsychologist, and we talked growing up all about traumatic brain injury, and so I think it was sort of, I don't know, maybe my destiny or something, but I think it was it was in the genes, if you will. Yeah, are you based in a community setting, an academic setting? What kind of situation are you in? I am based in a community. I'm here in practice in Colorado, and I work for a large medical group, but in a community setting. Now, a question that I haven't asked before, but I want to start asking is, what made you decide community versus academic? That is a great question. I think that I have always been drawn more to clinical practice and clinical medicine since becoming a medical student. I think I have an appreciation for research and the importance of research and the fact that that propels us forward in terms of our understanding of medicine and and future treatments and even diagnoses. But I think I've always been more drawn to the the clinical practice piece of things as opposed to research. I do enjoy teaching, but again, when I think about things, the the clinical aspect, taking care of patients on a daily basis is what really gets me excited about work. So that was more of my draw toward a community practice setting as opposed to academics. What type of patients do you treat? I treat patients of all ages uh, from teenager and up. So I don't treat kids. Uh, Pediatric neurology is a separate specialty with a separate board accreditation. I treat people from about the age of 15 or really 16 up until as old as people can get. And I treat people uh, who are fairly healthy and dealing with a chronic condition, something like migraine, to people who are very debilitated by an acute neurologic problem like stroke or a chronic, really devastating neurologic condition like ALS or or other things too. 
So I would say a wide variety, a really wide spectrum. Describe a typical day. A typical day. For me, I start work at eight o'clock and I finish up around five, although that's sort of in quotes because it can be later. Depends on how busy the day has been. I will see 10 patients in a day and it's, it's funny. So if you hear from a dermatologist, they might see 50 patients in a day, but 10 is actually a lot for a neurologist. We have long examinations and we take long histories. So we have uh, longer visits, I think, than a lot of people. So I'll see about eight, uh, sorry, no, six new consults. One might be a procedure, something like an EMG, and then four follow-up visits. Do you feel like your work-life balance is appropriate? Do you feel like you have enough time for family? Uh, To be honest, I think I am in a good position compared to other positions that I could be in. I think that where I work, there is a real concern and emphasis on creating work-life balance. And so there's, for example, built-in charting time to my day where I have a few minutes to actually catch up between patients I have some flexibility in setting my schedule. I think that where I am in life is a challenging place. I have a young child at home and I'm, I am a physician, so I have a busy and, and demanding career. And so work-life balance is, is a challenge, especially right now. But I think that where I am, there is a, uh, a drive to really try to protect work-life balance as much as possible for physicians. And part of that also is the support that I get where I work. I'm lucky enough to have uh, an amazing support staff that helps me in my day, a range of LPNs and medical assistants and nurses who really let me do physician work. In other words, they try to take as much administrative stuff off of my plate as possible to really let me make decisions that really a physician needs to make. What traits do you think lead to being a good neurologist? I think to be a good neurologist, you have to be a bit cerebral. I think you have to like thinking about things, uh, sometimes for long periods of time. Um, so, so what I'm getting at is in neurology, we focus not just on on what the problem is and how best to treat it, but where the problem is. There's a concept called localization in neurology where Someone will come in with a a certain set of symptoms and we need to figure out what part of the nervous system is affected. And so to do that, I think that requires some interest in, in solving a puzzle and some interest in being a bit cerebral. And the on the alternative or the opposite side of the coin, as a neurologist, you really need to be able to sort of dive into action quickly and where that comes in is stroke. And in neurology, we talk about this concept of time is brain. So when someone is having an acute stroke, you have about four and a half hours to get them to the hospital where they can be a candidate for something called TPA, which is a clot buster. So without getting into a lot of detail, the importance here is that you need to be able to act quickly and jump off your feet and dive in and try to help people, but also be able to sit back and think about things. So it's it's kind of, it demands uh, a bit of both. What makes a competitive applicant for neurology? For neurology, as for most specialties now, it's important to have good grades in medical school. And that can vary certainly by medical school because some medical schools have passed or fail, but I think a lot have honors or high honors. So certainly getting better grades is a good thing. 
the other, of course, importance is getting uh, good board scores. And so your USMLE uh, step one, step two CK, step two CS is really more of a formality, but those are all really important. And it also really, I think, depends in terms of how competitive a program is. It really depends on the geography. It depends on where you are. So neurology as a whole is not as competitive as something like orthopedic surgery or ophthalmology or radiology. But when you want to apply to a very competitive program, something uh, at a big name academic center, that will raise the level of competition. So I think to be a competitive candidate, you want to have had some experience if you can uh, really uh, shadowing a neurologist, uh, if you can. Now, neurology at almost every medical school is a requirement for students. And so most everybody will have had a chance to work with neurologists. But if you haven't, it's so important that you do find a way to have uh, and participate in a neurology elective. So getting getting that exposure, that clinical exposure, sort of like when, when you're pre-med, you need that clinical exposure to show that you have interest in the field. You need the board scores, you need the grades. And I think you need to be a nice person. That's my personal bias because I think neurologists are a nice group of people. I think I think uh, it's an important thing, but that's, that's probably a, a lesser point. <laughs> is matching competitive for neurology? It is, again, but... Because of geography, I think again it's probably somewhere in the middle range. The last time I looked, neurology was was around uh, as competitive as internal medicine. But what makes it more competitive is is if you're going to go to a very competitive program, something that um, you know a big name institution. Do you see any bias from from your experience between MDs and DOs for neurology? I. Don't I? I trained mostly with MDs, but uh, I certainly don't. I don't appreciate really any bias in my field in that regard. I think there are probably this could be wrong, but I think that there are probably more uh, MD neurologists out there than DOs. But that that may be wrong. That may just be because of my experience working with people, and probably more than neurologists I know happen to be MDs. But no bias that I am aware of. I think part of that is probably just sheer number of MD graduates and DO graduates as well. That could very well be. What is residency like for neurology? That varies a lot, to be honest. When I interviewed, I saw a wide range. And in talking with other neurologists in the country, I've, I've seen a lot of different things. I did my residency at Mass General Hospital and Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. So my residency was very... Uh, volume heavy. I saw a great number of patients and it was very inpatient heavy, meaning that I did a lot of inpatient rotations in stroke and uh, acute neurology in the neuro ICU, the neuro intensive uh, care unit. There is also certainly outpatient time in every neurology residency, but I think depending on the the academic institution where you do your training, you may find that some are more outpatient heavy and some are more inpatient heavy. Mine was a more inpatient heavy, but there are other programs around the country where it's really, there There are no neuro ICUs that you're exposed to and more of your neurology training may be uh, primarily in the outpatient setting. And how many years is it? Neurology residency is four years. It's a year of internal medicine and then three years of neurology residency. Back in the day, and I don't know when that is, but years ago, you actually had to complete three years of internal medicine and then do a separate neurology residency for three years. Nowadays, it's one year of internal medicine, and then you have the three years of neurology afterwards. 
What do you wish you knew then going into neurology? I think I didn't appreciate that neurology is pretty sad sometimes. I think in medical school and even before medical school, my thinking was that oncology was probably really the most sad, if you will, of all the specialties out there. And we all know that cancer is very difficult and it can be devastating and people can die. And so that was my thought that oncology was really sad. And I think in neurology, there is a lot that is really devastating. And even in this day, we are not always great at fixing things. So for example, we still don't have good treatments for Alzheimer's dementia. We still don't have uh, good treatments for ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And so you see people in neurology who are faced with very devastating illnesses that are chronic and debilitating and even deathly. And that is... I think something that I was aware of, but wasn't quite as aware of as I wish I had been, if you will. The other thing that I learned is that neurology is very acutely devastating sometimes. So it's one of, uh, it's one area in which someone can go from being happy and uh, fully functional to being very debilitated and it can happen very quickly. And so stroke, for example, is, is an example of that. And some people have very minor strokes and can do very well. And other people have really devastating strokes or bleeding in their head that can be really life-changing or, or fatal. And helping a family through that process can also be very difficult. I think that neurology has a lot of really great promise and we're seeing wonderful new therapies come out and we're actually starting to be able to really make a difference in people's lives. If you compare 20 years ago and now, there's a huge difference in how we treat things like multiple sclerosis, even genetic disorders that we're now uh, finding uh, that researchers and scientists in the community and in academic centers and in labs are finding uh, treatments for it. There's so much promise coming uh, and already even here in a lot of these very difficult diseases. But it, there are also a lot of difficult things that we still have trouble with, and that's a hard thing. And it takes uh, it takes guts and it takes courage sometimes to to walk that path with a family and, and when the patient is really suffering. What do you wish primary care providers knew about neurology? That is a hard question to answer. That's a great question, Ryan. What do primary care? What should they know? I think. Know that we are here to help. I, I think I <laughs> I work in, uh, you know, as I said, a large medical group. And so we have primary care physicians who reach out to us all the time and, and ask for help. I think when I was in private practice, maybe I didn't have uh, that relationship with primary care providers in the community as much. And so maybe I, th I think that most neurologists are happy to help primary care physicians with some of the problems that come up that we have referred to us. So for example, migraines or peripheral neuropathy, these are standard things that come up for a lot of patients out there in the world. And so having letting primary care physicians know that, that if they have a question that they can call us and ask us for help, I think is a, it's a great thing to be able to do if, if you have a question, you're sitting in the office. Sometimes even rather than, than sending someone for a consult, you can pick up the phone and, and call. And I think most of us are happy to help. What other specialties do you work the closest with? We work with the neurosurgeons. 
We work with orthopedic surgery uh, who do carpal tunnel release for carpal tunnel syndrome. We work with the spine clinic because we see people who have pinched nerves in their neck or their back, something called radiculopathy, and the spine clinic uh, helps with other with treatments for that. We work with physical therapy a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So there are quite a lot of uh, specialties that we work pretty close with, and certainly primary care, but that's that's not a specialty I know. <laughs> Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for neurology? I think there are neurologists out there who are working heavily with industry now and helping to come up with treatments for some of these very difficult neurologic diagnoses that we deal with. For example, ALS or Alzheimer's uh, or genetic disorders. There are uh, so many of these that really still need a lot of good treatments, even Huntington's. And so I think some neurologists are actually going toward industry now, which is an interesting road and something uh, that makes a difference for a lot of people, but in a different way than standard clinical practice. What do you like the most about being a neurologist? I like the variety. I like seeing a young person with migraine and then an elderly person with dementia all in the same day. I think that uh, there is just a, a wonderful variety of, of problems that affect uh, people that that are in the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord, and also in the peripheral nervous system and our, our nerves and muscles and spinal roots. It's interesting to, to be in a field where there are so many different problems that can affect uh, different parts of the body, but that are all sort of, uh, if you will, part of one system, the nervous system. So I, I love the variety. I also do enjoy helping people and their families in, in difficult situations where sometimes there, there really isn't a cure. And the best thing you can do is, is to really be there and be supportive. I think that is a challenge, but it's something that I, I enjoy. And on the flip side, what do you like the least about being a neurologist? <laughs> Probably it's a similar thing, which is the, the difficulty in uh, not being able to offer someone something to fix a problem. So being able to diagnose something, there's a satisfaction there. But if you can't offer someone a treatment or uh, much hope for there being a treatment in the next few years, that's, that's a, a very difficult thing. And so that's also something probably that I like the least. If you had to do it all over again, would you choose neurology? I, I think I would, as I still tell people and myself too, I think that the brain is really the most fascinating of, of anything in the body. It defines us. It, it defines who we are as people and as human beings. And I find that it's really interesting when it's normal and when it's not. So I think when I think about other organs and other, other specialties, uh, there's nothing that interests me, I think, as much as neurology. Another question that I haven't really asked before, and we're only three episodes in, so still modifying this as we go. As a general neurologist, what sort of specialists, uh, subspecialists, subspecialty opportunities are there for neurologists? There are a lot. Neurology is becoming more subspecialized all the time. There, just to name a few, there are epileptologists, people who are specialized in seizure disorders. There are neuromuscular specialists, people who are specialized in problems of the muscles and nerves in our bodies. Uh, there are um, behavioral neurologists, people who specialize in dementias and other behavioral uh, problems. 
There are headache specialists. There are movement disorder specialists who help uh, treat uh, problems like Parkinson's disease. So there are, and, and it's exploding. There are more and more all the time. There are people who are specialized in MS and neuroimmunologic problems, uh, people. Sports. Uh, sports medicine and sports neurology. Yes, people are specialized in traumatic brain injury. There are people who are specialized even in neuroinfectious disease. So it's a really, it's an exciting time to be a neurologist there because there's more and more that we're learning and more and more that we can treat now. There is is more and more available for people to specialize in and explore. What do you see as the future for neurology? So I think that's a segue, a great segue into that question. There, there is more and more that we're learning about the nervous system and how nerves communicate and how things break down in the nervous system. And we're being able to better identify targets for therapies that can be used. Uh, so for example, there are, there are autoimmune conditions where the body produces antibodies that can attack the brain in different places. And for years, those probably existed and we couldn't do anything about them. And in recent years, we actually have treatments uh, that can, that can target these problems. And we're now uh, coming up with not me particularly, but but people are coming up with uh, treatments for genetic disorders to fix neurologic problems. So I think the future is just expanding our knowledge of the nervous system and and the treatments really, because neurology has lagged behind a lot of fields. Probably neurology and psychiatry together have lagged a lot behind other fields in terms of our our understanding of the of the nervous system and the brain, and therefore then being able to target problems that come up in that system. And so I think that in the next 20 years, we're going to see a, a huge number of new therapies come out that will really make a difference for some of these really debilitating neurologic problems that are uh, afflicting a lot of people in our society. Any last words of wisdom for those that are thinking about entering neurology? I think being... Uh, getting a chance to explore both sides of neurology, inpatient neurology and outpatient neurology is really important because some programs are really inpatient heavy and others might be outpatient heavy. I think it's really great to be able to even do an away elective, go to another institution and see what neurology is like there. So really get a chance to see as much as you can because there is such a variety in neurology and you don't want to miss out on what you think neurology encapsulates by just seeing a piece of it. It's a, a wonderful specialty and endlessly challenging and interesting and exciting with so much promise in the future. So I, I think it's a really exciting field and, and a really a field that can make a lot of difference for a lot of people in their lives. So I think it's fabulous. If you're interested, keep up that interest and explore all right, that was Allison Gray, general neurologist. She also has a subspecialty in TBI, traumatic brain injury, though we didn't cover that today. I wanted to to hit the general neurology topic for you. If you are a listener of the Pre-Made Years podcast, you would recognize Allison. She's often on there. She is obviously my wife and uh, a frequent guest on the Pre-Made Years. So, Thank you to Allison for joining me here on the Specialty Stories podcast to share what a neurologist is and what a neurologist does and what you, the pre-med and medical student, should be thinking about as you go on this journey into neurology, if that's something you are interested in. I look forward to your feedback. If there are any questions that you think I should be adding, anything I should dive deeper into, I do like to keep this 
podcast more formal than my pre-med years, if you listen to that one, because I want students to be able to compare episode to episode, and I don't want to dive too far into different tangents and discussing cool things, although I want to every time, but I'm, I'm trying to keep to specific questions so that you can compare easily as you move forward and you're going through this journey trying to figure out what you want to do. So if there are any questions you think I should be adding, please let me know. Shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I would love for you to share this podcast with your friends and family and pre-med advisors and fellow medical students. Share it on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, whatever you cool kids are doing these days. And, uh, and yeah, if you would like to leave us a review in iTunes, I'll take one of those as well. This is the third episode of the Specialty Stories podcast, the last episode of 2016. I hope you have a happy and safe holidays, and we will see you next year here at the Specialty Stories podcast and MedEd Media. Remember, this podcast is part of the MedEd Media Network. You can see everything and hear everything that we're doing over at mededmedia.com. Have a great week.